Well, on this message on Moses, uh, I wanted to look at one of the experiences of Israel. And that's as Moses was leading them uh, to victory over a certain enemy. Now, kind of related to this topic, you might have heard it said that the three areas a believer has to overcome um, or be tested in is with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? And that, that kind of relates to what James said. Um, this was in James 3.15. And, and he's speaking of the wisdom of this world. He says, the wisdom that does not send, descend from above or what's from beneath, he says, is earthly, sensual, de- demonic or devilish, depending on which translation. And I think it's interesting that those three areas are related to wisdom, uh, which is right, our decision-making, right, deciding or thinking according to the Lord's way. And, and so, you know, what influences our decisions? Um, it's the world and the pressure uh, from the world that we face from it. And it's the fleshly nature within us. And it's the enemy we face. And so this morning, I wanted to just consider um, one of the opponents that that, uh, one of those things as it relates to Israel's story. And that was how Israel was fighting a battle and they were fighting Amalek, right? So just after, like, this is kind of progressing in, in talking about how Israel was tested with the food and the water. Well, then they fought Amalek. Now, Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Um, and, you know, they were the first enemy Israel had to, to face. In fact, they came up from behind. It talks about that actually in the Psalms. Or came up from behind. They were picking off, or no, in Deuteronomy, it says they, they were getting those who were faint and weary on the outskirts of the camp. You know, Pastor Bailey talked about Esau. And, and he said, Esau was a man of his stomach. Therefore, he speaks of the fleshly and carnal desires. Thus, the Amalekites represent spirits of carnal desires. And so the struggle with Israel and Amalek, it, it kind of has a spiritual representation to us. It's the battle that each of us faces as believers over the flesh, right, over our nature that we were born with. And what's interesting, what we can kind of see from this uh, story is it's not a quick and decisive battle. It's kind of long. It's drawn out because Moses gets tired, as we'll consider. Right? And so as long as he held up his staff, he, they, they won. But, of course, you can only hold something up so long that it gets pretty tiring. And he started to lower it, and they started to lose. You know, the staff is an instrument of guidance for the shepherd, for guiding the sheep. And, and so to overcome the flesh, we have to stay under the staff or the guidance of the, of the good shepherd and of the spirit for a long time to gain victory. And so this is kind of a picture for us in this experience with Moses. That agrees with what Paul said in Galatians 4, or, or chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? The more... We come under the rod and the staff of the Spirit of God, the more we'll, we'll gain victory over the flesh. But I want to consider 
also when we're talking about the flesh, I mean, there's not a lot in the Old Testament, so to speak, because that's the natural picture. But in the New Testament, it talks about the danger of the flesh being the nature within us for believers. Now, Paul has a lot to say about that. He had to deal with some fleshly Christians and, you know, the church and, and so forth. And he was kind of opening the eyes of the, of the New Testament believers to this concept of the flesh. And he says this in Romans 8, 5. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind, and they're constantly just thinking about the things of the flesh. Right? That's where they are. But then notice this, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so to always be making decisions with the carnal mind, thinking, walking according to our own understanding, our, our, our own appetites, we might not see anything in the natural, but there's a result, death. Well, really it's spiritual death or it's a reduction of, of the life of the spirit of God within us. And the, the dangerous thing is that we just don't see that. It's invisible, but it's taking place within. And why is that? Well, verse seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, or it, it actually can kind of means the carnal mind is the enemy of God. That's scary. Because it is not subject to the law of God, and neither it can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's quite a statement, right? That the carnal mind is the enemy of God. That means there can be a part of us that loves God, and at the same time, there can be a part of us that's his enemy. When we feed that and give into that, that area, that, that to me is scary. You know, because we can come to church and that, that good part of us is worshiping the Lord, but yet there's a part there that's at enmity. It's the enemy of God. Lord, that part needs to die so that your spirit can live. Right? But Scripture relates a lot of that to our thinking. Right? Because it can be there, but it doesn't really affect us until we start to make decisions and we start to think which way we should go. You know, that thought, there's a thought process that is at, at opposite to what God is in his way. Because the carnal mind, here it is, it can't be subject to the law of God. There's a part of us in our nature that just will not submit to the law of God. And there's only one solution. It has to die. It has to go. And so the carnal, the carnality, you know, of our nature can, can really cause trouble. Of course, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with that because he had some churches that were carnal, especially, you know, we, we read about the Corinthian church. They experienced a lot of trouble and turmoil because there was carnality there. They were thinking with their own mindset and what they thought was right and so forth. And it caused such trouble and turmoil, right? Instead of being spiritual, well, sometimes they were spiritual in a carnal way, right? I mean, being spiritual to satisfy their own desires and right, lift themselves up, you know? And so they were so self-focused 
instead of others focused, instead of being focused on God, caused a lot of turmoil and, and contention. And it kind of reminds us of uh, that little verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride comes contention. Right? So there's, if there's tension in the atmosphere of a group, there's, there's only one reason. It's because there's carnality there, which is pride, which is kind of the chief of the offenders of the carnal mind. It's being number one. Right? So pride is making ourselves the number one priority, and that always causes contention, especially in the body of Christ. Peace comes through the opposite of pride, which is humility. When everyone is willing to, to flow in humility, there's such unity and peace. But the pathway of victory for the church and for our personal lives, we can find it as we go on in Romans 8. Romans 8, 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. And the implication is spiritually. Um, you will eventually in the natural too. But, but if through the spirit you mortify or the deeds of the body or you know, put to death those deeds, you will live. For as many of you as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. Now, we understand that salvation is a free gift, and you know we want that to be clear. Christ laid his life down for us, and he paid the price. But there's Paul brings something out we can't miss, and it's something we have to remind ourselves. Even though Christ has given us the free gift of salvation, Paul says we're debtors. Can you think about that for a minute? We are in debt to Christ. Right? He's bought us with a price. Even though we didn't have to pay it, he paid it, but now we're in debt to him. But this is a good debt. Right? It's a debt that brings life. But he says we are debtors. It's not something you think about as believers, right? Praise God, we're debtors. It kind of goes against our natural thinking, right? But, you know, that in the Greek, it's a very simple meaning. It, it basically means one who owes another. And it also means to be held by an obligation, to be bound by a duty. And so because we've been bought for a price, we have a debt to pay because of Christ's salvation. And we pay that debt by not living for the flesh and instead living by the Spirit of God and for the things of the Spirit of God. That's how we pay the debt. You know, living by the flesh, that's, that's kind of like, you know, we all have bills to pay and, I'm, you know, maybe rent or a mortgage and, or maybe we're trying to save money or something like that. And nothing interrupts our good intentions and causes us to get behind or, you know, not being able to pay our debt more than moments of the flesh, right? Maybe we've all had moments of the flesh where it overcame our sensibilities to, of, you know, what our budget was. Uh, I've had those experiences. Sometimes I've given in, sometimes I haven't. Uh, hasn't massively affected my budget yet, but you know, they've been close. So I'm especially susceptible to that in stores like Best Buy and the Apple Store. I'll walk into the Apple Store and of course they don't put 
price tags next to anything. Everything's just nice and bright and new and shiny. And you look at the new thing that come out that's come out, the new iPhone or the new iPad or MacBook, and I could really use that. My, you know, mine is from 2000 X, X whatever years, and it's like, is it time for an upgrade yet? I think my iPad needs an upgrade or something like that. And, you know, things get worked up. And sometimes you come close to a decision. You know, if you're not careful, you can make a decision that is good for a season, for a time. But then you come under the bondage of the flesh, which is the wrong kind of debt. And, you know, you don't want to do that because we have to pay for it. But that's just a natural illustration. I mean, there's some people's lives who have been destroyed because they cannot control their flesh when it comes to spending money. But you know, I actually think that's that's a small area compared to things of this of the fleshly nature and eternity. Now, that can affect our eternity, but but there's some things of walking by the flesh that can destroy us spiritually. And so we have to be careful of those. Instead, we need to look at ourselves as under a debt to Christ, as an obligation to the Spirit of God. You know, why should we give our, our sacrifices? Yes, it's because it's pleasing to God. Yes, because it's the right thing to do, right? We should come to church and worship God and give our sacrifices. But you know one reason we do that? We're under an obligation. We're in debt to respond to the Spirit of God and allow His Spirit to work within us, to change us, to transform us, to be made new, to walk and be led by the Spirit of God. That's a debt we owe to Christ because of His sacrifice for us. But it's also the way to life. It's the way to blessing. It's the way to a rich inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul also described it this way, 2 Corinthians 10, how we can overcome. He says, the weapons of our warfare, uh, 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, right? They're not earthly, fleshly, but they're mighty through God, through his spirit, to the pulling down of strongholds. That's the goal, but here's the debt. Verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That kind of summarizes it. The victory over the flesh, it's bringing into captivity every single thought. I'm going to make an admission. I I still have some thoughts that haven't been brought into captivity yet. Sometimes they crop up and I give a little bit too much time, you know, thought to them, a little bit of time for taking them into captivity. But if we're not careful, that can really affect us. And especially if we start to make decisions on those. And so it is so vital that we come to that place of being led by the Spirit and to overcome the flesh, taking every thought into the captivity, the obedience of Christ. That's the way to victory. But just uh, in continuing on, I just wanted to to look at, because there's many ways we can look at finding, how we can find victory over the flesh. But I want to go back to Israel's story of fighting Amalek. 
And I want to see how Moses led them to victory. I'll just look at two things here in the story. Right, because we know the story. We've mentioned how his staff got heavy. And so Aaron and her helped him hold it up. And they put him to sit on a rock. And, and Israel just gradually, they overcame. And they finally, they defeated Amalek and got the victory. But in this story, we also had a revelation of one of the names of God. Right? It, and because after the battle, it says this in Exodus 17, 15. It says, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war from Amalek to generation to generation. And really, this is a story of empowerment, right? That God wants his people to fight Amalek with all their might. Every generation is to overcome Amalek, right? It's really speaking of every generation of the church, every generation of believers. That's the fight we have to to face, and he wants to bring us to victory. And we know later on God commissioned two kings to totally wipe them out and destroy Amalek once and for all. That kind of speaks of coming into the fullness of our journey, right? When we come closer to Mount Zion, we're in the promised land, Amalek is to be wiped out. So basically, all the power is removed. Now, God commissioned Saul to do that, but what happened? He destroyed, he, he destroyed everyone except the biggest one, the king. He saved him alive. Um, you know, he didn't overcome. But then, of course, David. David actually defeated Amalek before he came to the throne. And he, and he, defe- he destroyed them and he recovered all, right, as they attacked him. You know, that's, that's what God's purpose is for us. But, but in that, I wanted to bring out the name of the Lord because... God revealed one of his names, Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord, my banner. The Lord, our banner. Now, to understand what that means, we kind of have to look to the past. Actually, not that long ago, only about 150 years ago. But because when armies had fought, um, they had banners. And how they would use that is there would be a banner in the midst of that group, maybe that regiment or company, and they would have a banner and, you know, of course, battle could be very confusing. And you don't know, once it starts, it's like, you know, it's so chaotic. Which way do we go? You just look at the banner. And you follow that banner to victory, to the way that you're supposed to, to go. Um, and so every soldier knew to look for the banner. And so here's God declaring his name as the Lord, or are you saying, I am your banner Follow me and I will always lead you to victory. You know, I'm, I always remember a story Pastor Jason shared uh, from his time in Bible school. They were playing chess and uh, we didn't, you didn't know it, but Pastor Bailey shared how he was in a chess club. And, and so he's looking at the board and he said, oh, you don't want to move there. You're going to, you're about to get locked in or, you know, that piece is going to get taken or whatever. And so uh, Pastor Jason offered uh, Pastor Bailey to play a game of chess I've always remembered his response. And, you know, you have to understand Pastor Bailey's sense of humor. Uh, He was British, but uh, he said to to Jason, he's like, oh, I don't play games. I hear from God and I never lose. Only Pastor Bailey could say that and get away with it. But he was making a point, right, is that 
you can play games in life and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you follow the Lord and his plan, you see that if you're following the banner of God, that's him leading you by his spirit. He's speaking. He's directing. You'll never lose. That's in an eternal sense, right? Things happen that we don't understand, but we never lose when we follow the banner of Christ. And I, I haven't forgotten that because, you know, we want to we wanna follow his banner. We want to hear his voice to get his battle plan. And in that, we won't lose because we'll be on the winning side. Now, I just want to consider from this story two aspects of how we can kind of relate to this concept of lifting up the banner. Now, the first one, Moses had to keep his, the rod in his hands lifted up. And it's kind of amazing how God directed him in that. I mean, that's the only battle in history where in that sense of he would win from a simple act of obedience. Keep your hands raised and the, and the staff raised. And then they won. And so there's, there's kind of two thoughts we can consider from this because what's the universal sign of surrender? I'm going to raise my hands and I surrender. And so, you know, the Lord's kind of speaking that in order to obtain victory in every area of our lives, we have to be so careful to keep our hands raised. Lord, I surrender to you. I'm going to follow the banner. And I'm going to surrender to every other area. And that, that, that's half the battle there with overcoming the flesh because we're just giving up our way and we're yielding to God's way by maintaining that heart of submission and surrender. But then it's the thought of prayer right? That, that's related is that there's a lot of prayer and crying out that needs to take place in overcoming Amalek, in overcoming uh, the flesh and so forth. And, and we, get, we get the victory when we maintain that connection to heaven. And we keep crying out and we keep knocking on his door and pressing in for that answer that we need from him. You know, when, when Moses' hands slipped down, oop, they stopped winning. In fact, they started going backwards. And so when our prayer life starts to slip, we start to lose our spiritual footing against the enemy. In one sense, it's an encouraging thought because God's saying that if we just keep our arms raised up, he does the rest. All we have to do is keep surrendering and keep seeking him and he'll do the rest. You know, Christ said in in Luke 18 and verse seven, he said, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night to him, though he bear long with him. All right. They might have to keep crying out and keep enduring and the Lord has his time but he will avenge his elect you know there's that thought of help to Aaron and her uh, you know sometimes we need help in our situation you know Moses found the help in his family which represents our spiritual community the family of Christ we're called to uphold and, and bear up one another's burdens. And, you know, even Moses could not make it on his own. I think that's an important lesson for us. We're looking at Moses as a role model, right? So to be of the Moses company of the last days, there's not going to be any lone rangers 
right, who can do it all on their own. You know, there's positions of authority and calling, but not even Moses could do it all himself. God required him to rely upon others. It was a team effort. And in fact, I just saw a documentary where someone was studying all the, the communities all around the world of those who had centenarians. I don't know if you know what a centenarian is, but it's people who live over 100. So like, what's the secret to living long? Um, well, he basically found there's four things. And two of them make sense, right? It's diet and exercise. <laughs> you got to eat good and keep moving. But he also found that's not enough. He's, he found that every community that had the, the highest percentage of people who live lo have long lives, they had a community, right? There was a sense of community that they were connected one to another. They weren't disconnected. And they had a purpose, they found that there was a community and a purpose. And that, that was actually the four main things. I thought it was really interesting. But that is God's purpose for us, is to be flowing together and to helping one another. You know, we can't make it without each other. And we have to hold up each other in, in prayer, encouragement, and many other ways. Well, one last thought here, and we'll close. But, but it's that thought of lifting up the banner in battle as we're fighting. You know, in modern days, we would refer to the one who carries the banner as the, you know, in the military would be the color bearer, right? You might see people marching and, and one person has the flag and they usually have it kind of in a holder and they're kind of marching in that. But that, that's a modern representation of what they literally would do is march into battle and someone would have the flag or the banner so that they would know which way to go. And it was so important that Usually the rules were is that if the, if the color bearer, the one who had the flag was hit, the one next to him would drop his weapon and pick the flag up and keep going because it was so important that the flag not fall because then they would be in disarray and confusion. It was not a very safe occupation because they were targeted. In fact, there's one, I was reading about one battle in the American Civil War in Antietam is one regiment from New York lost eight color bearers in a row because they were being targeted. Um, and so they were either wounded or killed and then one next one would just throw his weapon down, pick that up and keep marching. You know, it was a sacrifice to pick up the banner, but they counted it as a great honor, you know, to lift up the flag and keep going forward. And, you know, there's an aspect to this that if we're going to defeat Amalek, that in order for the Lord to lead us to victory, we have to be willing to pick up that banner and lay down our life. And really it speaks to yielding our lives to the work of the cross, of that work of surrender. And so it's really, it's impossible to follow Jehovah Nissi and, and also maintain our own rights and our own will and to walk in the flesh. It's, they're not compatible. Our calling is to pick up the banner or the cross and to follow him, which brings death to the flesh. That's kind of automatic. You know, Christ said as the, in John 3, 14, as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. And that really speaks, the serpent speaks of our nature being put up on the cross with Christ. And so to get the victory over that, we have to be lifted up on the cross and that's really what it speaks of as we're lifting the banner of Christ. We're really saying, Lord, I'm surrendering to you 
to your will, to your leading, to your guidance. I want to die so that you can live in me. You know, that's how God wants to meet us as Jehovah Nissi, to bring victory over the flesh and the kingdom within us so that we can be a part of bringing the victory into the kingdom of God on earth, into the lives of his people. And this is a process he wants to lead us through as individuals, as a church, as a fellowship, because we're going we're gonna to face many battles in the days to come. Maybe some of you are facing battles today. But we can come to those battles knowing the name of the Lord, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, and that we can call upon his name and we can lift up the banner of Christ as we learn to lift, keep our hands lifted up to him and surrender. Lord, I'm just surrendering. Choose for me. What's your will? Lord, I just surrender to that. Uplifted hands. But then we keep crying out, Lord, I need the victory in this area. And I'm going to keep my hands raised until that victory is, is met and this enemy has overcome. I'm not going to be like Saul and do it until I feet, uh, you know, meet the big guy, the big king, and then say, well, I'll, I'll leave him. But David, you know, he experienced victory after victory because he kept at it and he didn't stop. And in fact, it says, you know, it wasn't a quick thing for him because he was facing Saul, but it says as he was faithful to keep lifting up the banner, the house of Saul got weaker and weaker. And the house of David got stronger and stronger. And that represents our battle against Amalek, where God wants to bring us to the ultimate victory. Because he's a God of victory. And he's the Lord, our banner. And as we lift him up and we follow him, he will always lead us to victory as we follow him in that way. And Lord, we just look to you Lord, we just cry out to you. Lord, we confess our weaknesses, Lord, of the flesh and Lord, of, of our own way of thinking and our own desires. And Lord, we just confess them before you. And Lord, we're just crying out to you. Lord, would you come in a fresh way? Lord, that you would help us to see the example of Moses. Lord, that we would lift up our hands and our heart to you. Lord, and surrender and yielding to you. Lord, even help us, Lord, to surrender. Show us those areas where we need to say yes to you and no to ourselves and, Lord, to yield to you. And, Lord, would you even give us strength to continue, Lord, to, to cry out, to continue to uphold our hands, Lord, and to lift our voice until you accomplish the victory in us. Lord, and we thank you. Thank you that you are the God who always causes us to triumph as we follow your banner. Lead us to victory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right, please stand with me. Praise the Lord for his word this morning. We'll just sing that song in clothing, closing. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Whom have I?